0: Hi, I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now!. The climate crisis, the curtailment of reproductive rights, authoritarianism. These threats aren't looming, they're here now. If you believe Democracy Now!'s reporting on these issues is essential, please sign up for a monthly gift of or even $20. Go to democracynow.org to make your donation right away. Oh, and your gift will be matched dollar for dollar by a generous donor. Thank you so much. From New York, this is Democracy Now.
1: Joe Biden doesn't belong on a picket line. He belongs on the unemployment line. And you
2: know who else is missing in action? Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight.
0: He owes it to you to defend his record. Missing in action, Donald Trump faces criticism from his Republican rivals after he skips the second presidential primary debate. We'll air excerpts of the debate and speak to former presidential candidate Ralph Nader about Trump and the 2024 race.
3: One thing about Trump's being a serial law violator uh, is that he does it day after day. Uh, he does it overtly. He does it brazenly. He, here, here's here's the, the person who said in uh, July 2019, quote, then I have Article 2 where I have the right to do anything I want as president, end quote. He later insisted that the Constitution should be, quote, terminated.
0: Plus, we speak to David Dayen of the American Prospect about the U.S. government's landmark lawsuit against Amazon and the growing calls for Senator Bob Menendez to resign after he was indicted for bribery. Now at least 30 Democrats want him out. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the war and peace report I'm Amy Goodman. Seven Republican presidential candidates squared off at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California Wednesday at the party's second primary debate. But once again, the race's frontrunner, Donald Trump, did not participate. He was criticized multiple times for skipping the debate. This is former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie.
4: And I want to look in that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching. Okay? and you're not here tonight, not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that. No one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck.
0: We'll take a closer look at the second Republican presidential debate with former presidential candidate Ralph Nader after headlines. Instead of going to the debate, Trump headed to Detroit, Michigan, where he spoke at a non-union auto parts supplier. Trump's visit came a day after President Biden made history as the first sitting president to join striking auto workers on the picket line. During a rally Wednesday, Trump called for unions to support him in 2024.
2: Do me a favor. Just get your union guys, your leaders,
0: to endorse me. Okay? And I'll take care of the rest. Very deliberate. LAW President Sean Fain refused to meet with Trump during his trip to Detroit. Fain said, quote, I see no point in meeting with him because I don't think the man has any bit of care about what our workers stand for, what the working class stands for. He serves a billionaire class and that's what's wrong with this country, Fain said. In Las Vegas, unionized hospitality workers overwhelmingly voted to authorize a citywide strike against hotels and casinos. Amidst record industry profits in recent years, hospitality workers are demanding wage increases on the job safety protections, more humane workloads, increased job security and training on new technology, as well as protections if technology displaces workers. The U.S. government appears to be barreling toward another shutdown as House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is refusing to bring a Senate stopgap bill to the floor for a vote and doesn't have enough support to pass his own short-term House measure. Many Republicans oppose the short-term Senate bill in part because it contains aid for Ukraine and disaster relief. McCarthy remains beholden to the far-right faction of his caucus, which is pushing for steep cuts to social spending that would hit a essential food programs, education and housing. Missouri Democratic Congressmember Cory Bush said, quote, MAGA math is cutting food assistance for millions of children and families while simultaneously increasing tax cuts for billionaires. Once again, Republicans' greed is taking the food out of hungry children's mouths. Shameful, she said. House Speaker McCarthy had previously agreed to current spending levels as part of the debt ceiling deal. Meanwhile, government workers are bracing to again lose their paychecks. This is Everett Kelly, head of the union representing federal workers.
5: It's a detriment to our economy. It's a detriment to our communities and to the workforce. And we need to be stable. We need to be able to know that we got a job and that we're able to provide for our families.
0: The government will shut down midnight on Saturday if no deal is reached. Meanwhile, far-right Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene passed an amendment to the defense bill to reduce U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's salary to $1. The president of the self-declared Republic of Nagorno-Karabakh says the government of the contested region will dissolve itself by January 1st. The announcement comes just days after Azerbaijan carried out a military blitz to seize the territory, which is mostly made up of ethnic Armenians. Over 50,000 people in Nagorno-Karabakh have fled to Armenia in recent days. That's more than half the region's population. On Wednesday, Azerbaijan arrested the former head of the Nagorno-Karabakh government as he was trying to cross into Armenia. Burkina Faso's military leaders say the country's security and intelligence services thwarted a coup attempt by rogue officers. Burkina Faso is currently ruled by interim president Ibrahim Traore, an army captain who himself seized power a year ago following a military coup. The junta vowed to hold democratic elections by July next year. Earlier this week, hundreds of people took to the streets in the capital to show their support for the military leadership. A U.S. soldier who crossed into North Korea in July has arrived back in the United States after being expelled by Pyongyang. U.S. Army Private Travis King had been held for two months after crossing the DMZ. North Korean authorities had said King, who is black, had, quote, harbored ill feeling against inhuman maltreatment and racial discrimination within the U.S. Army and was disillusioned about the unequal U.S. society, unquote. The White House thanked the Swedish embassy in Pyongyang and the Chinese government for their role in facilitating his release and return home. It's unclear what disciplinary action King may now face by the military. Meanwhile, North Korea's parliaments voted to enshrine its nuclear weapons program as part of the North Korean constitution. The United States has admitted Israel into its visa waiver program. It joins 40 other countries which enjoy visa-free travel to the U.S. The move was quickly met with condemnation from Palestinian rights activists. Author and journalist Ali Abunima said it was, quote, "...rewarding and encouraging Jewish supremacist apartheid, ethnic cleansing and racial terror against Palestinians," unquote. Meanwhile, James Zogby, the president of the Arab American Institute, said in a statement, By prioritizing a political perk to a foreign country over the equal rights and safety of American citizens, the Biden administrations agreed to continue blatant discrimination against Arab Americans, including Palestinian Americans and others who advocate for Palestinian human rights, Zogby said. In Ethiopia, local researchers say they verified over 1,300 hunger deaths in the war-torn northern Tigray region since the November ceasefire was enacted. A major contributing factor is the suspension of food aid by the U.S. and the U.N. after they said food supplies were being seized by military units. The Ethiopian government has faced accusations of weaponizing humanitarian aid. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has formally apologized after he and the House of Commons gave a standing ovation to a Canadian-Ukrainian veteran who fought in a Nazi SS unit during World War II. Ninety-eight-year-old Yaroslav Hanka was honored on Friday during a visit by Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, who also applauded him. He'd been invited by the Speaker of the House of Commons, Anthony Rota, who had since resigned from his post. Trudeau spoke Wednesday.
4: The Speaker was solely responsible for the invitation and recognition of this man and has wholly accepted that responsibility and stepped down. This was a mistake that has deeply embarrassed Parliament and Canada. All of us who were in this House on Friday regret deeply having stood and clapped, even though we did so unaware of the context.
0: Prime Minister Trudeau made the apology after Canada's conservative leader, Pierre Poilier, described the event honoring the former Nazi soldier as the biggest single diplomatic embarrassment in Canada's history. In the Netherlands, a massive climate protest is now on its 20th day as activists blockade the A-12, a major highway. Over 6,000 people have been arrested since the action started. Activists are demanding the Dutch government end its over $40 billion in annual subsidies for fossil fuel companies. Demonstrators say police are using increasingly violent tactics to quell their movement. Extinction Rebellion Netherlands is taking authorities to court in a bid to ban the use of water cannons against peaceful protesters. Meanwhile, in the U.K., climate activists have slammed its government after it gave the green light to develop its largest untapped oil field in the North Sea just off the northwest coast of the Shetland Islands. The Rosebank project will be operated by Norwegian company Equinor and British firm Ithaca Energy. This is climate lawyer and director of the group Uplift, Tessa Khan
5: that if we're going to stay within a safe climate, which is that internationally agreed goal of 1.5 degrees of temperature rise, there is no room for new oil and gas fields. Existing oil and gas reserves and fossil fuel infrastructure are enough to take us past that critical threshold. So we simply can't afford to add
0: more oil and gas to that existing pile. In Strasbourg, France, a historic hearing unfolded Wednesday at the European Court of Human Rights. As six young people from Portugal challenge 33 European governments over their failure to combat the climate crisis, which they argue is a violation of their human rights. This is one of the lawyers for the Portuguese youth who brought the lawsuit. Today's case is about the young. It is about the price
5: that they are paying for the failure of states to tackle the climate emergency. It is about the harm that they will
0: suffer during their lifetimes unless states step up to their responsibilities. The youth lawsuit is being closely followed by climate activists around the world. If successful, the 33 countries could be legally required to rapidly reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. A ruling is expected in the first half of next year. New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez, his wife, and two of his business associates have pleaded not guilty to federal bribery and extortion charges. Menendez was indicted Friday, accused of using his position to increase U.S. assistance to Egypt and to do favors for New Jersey businessmen in exchange for mortgage payments, a luxury car, bars of gold, and thousands of dollars in cash. It's the second time in under a decade Menendez has been indicted on federal bribery and corruption charges. He's refused calls from at least 30 Fellow Democrats to resign. And in Philadelphia, protesters took to the streets after a judge dismissed all charges, including first degree murder, against former police officer Mark Dial in the August killing of Eddie Irizarry. Dial fatally shot Irizarry at a near point blank range as he sat in his car after being pulled over. Prosecutors have vowed to appeal the ruling. Irizarry was reportedly suffering from mental health challenges at the time. His family expressed outrage following the ruling. This is his aunt speaking to the Philadelphia Inquirer.
5: The way I feel, the way the family feel, is everybody's upset because of the decision that this judge made today. You know, she said we didn't have, the DA didn't have enough evidence towards, though, how much evidence more do you need if... Um, the evidence was there. All the videos was there. The whole city had all the videos. So for you to sit here and say it was not enough evidence, then that was wrong. You know, it proved today that a police officer would kill somebody and get away with murder.
0: And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. Coming up, we are excerpts of the second Republican presidential debate Well, without President Trump and speak to former presidential candidate Ralph Nader about the 2024 elections, Trump and Biden. Stay with us. And Roses, music from the movie Idiocracy. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We begin today's show with the second Republican presidential primary debate of the 2024 race. Seven contenders faced off Wednesday night at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California, As with the first debate, the Republican frontrunner, former President Donald Trump, did not attend. He met with workers at a non-union auto parts factory in the battleground state of Michigan, where he attacked President Biden's support for electric cars one day after Biden's visit to Detroit, when he became the first sitting president in U.S. history to stand with uh, auto workers on the picket line. During the debate, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said Trump was missing in action and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie tried out a new nickname for Trump.
4: And I want to look at that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching. Okay? And you're not here tonight, not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that, no one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck.
0: For much of the debate, criticism focused on Democrats as the candidates spoke over each other and over the moderators. This is former Vice President Mike Pence and Chris Christie responding to moderator Ilya Calderón of Univision.
2: The government will shut down if Congress does not reach a deal by the end of this week. Vice President Pence warns that politics of quote, Trump's populist proteges like Mr. Ramaswamy are a road to ruin for the GOP. If the government shuts down, should voters blame populist Republicans?
4: Voters should blame everybody who's in Washington, D.C. They get sent down there to do the job, and they've been failing at doing the job for a very long time. And let's be honest about this with the voters. You know, during the Trump administration, they added $7 trillion. $7 trillion in national debt. And now the Biden administration has put another five trillion on and counting. They have failed and they're in the spot they're in now because none of them are willing to tell the truth. None of them are willing to take on the difficult issues. They just want to keep kicking the can down the road. And the inflation that Nikki spoke about is absolutely right. And it's caused by government spending. And that's why people all across this country are suffering tonight. And yet we don't get any answers because Joe Biden hides in his basement and won't answer as to why he. He's raising the debt the way he's done, and Donald Trump he hides behind the walls of his golf clubs and won't show up here to answer questions like all the rest of us are up here to answer. He put $7 trillion on the debt. He should be in this room to answer those questions for the people you talk about who are Can suffering. About- and if the government And if the government closes, and if the government closes, that- it's the blame, well, right. it is to the blame of everyone in Washington, D.C. who has failed yeah. to do their job and just plays to the grandstand. They
5: Governor. Are- you haven't spoken.
2: Please. The people in Washington are shutting down the American dream with their reckless behavior. They borrowed, they printed, they spent, and now you're paying more for everything. They are the reason for that. They have shut down our national sovereignty by allowing our border to be wide open. So please spare me uh, the crocodile tears for these people. They need to change what's going on. And where's Joe Biden? He's completely missing in action from leadership. And you know who else is missing? in action? Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. He owes it to you. To defend his record, where they added $7.8 trillion to the debt, that set the stage for the inflation that we have. Now, I can tell you this, as governor of Florida, we cut taxes, we ran surpluses, we've paid down over 25 percent of our state debt, and I vetoed wasteful spending when it came to my desk. And as your president, when they send me a bloating spending bill that's going to cause your prices to go up, I'm going to take out this veto pen, and I'm going to send it right back to them.
0: That was Republican Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Santos. The economy is one of the debate's main topics. This is the moderator, Dana Perino, of Fox News. She's a former White House press spokesperson for President George W. Bush and her fellow moderator, Fox Business host, Stuart Varney, with South Carolina Senator Tim Scott responding first. Americans want to believe a leader who says, you can follow me, I've got you, don't worry. President Biden is trying to do that with Bidenomics.
6: And yesterday, he joined the picket lines where auto workers are demanding more wages and job security. Senator Scott, you recently reacted by praising Ronald Reagan for firing air traffic controllers in the 1980s, saying, you strike, you're fired. Would you fire thousands of
5: striking auto workers today, Senator? Obviously, the president of the United States cannot fire anybody in the private sector. However, we should look back at the first bill in Congress under Joe Biden. The first bill had $86 billion for the union pensions because they continue to overpromise yet underdeliver. One of the challenges that we have in the current negotiations is that they want four-day French work weeks but more money. They want more benefits. Working fewer hours—that is simply not going to stand. I sat in a finance committee hearing when a widow came before the committee whose promised pensions from from the unions $4,000 a month. Unfortunately, it had been cut to $1,000 a month. We must make sure that we honor the commitments that we make, and one of the ways that we do that—do not overpromise and then under-deliver, and leave the taxpayers on the hook. I'll say this. Joe Biden should not be on the picket line. He should be on the southern border, working to close our southern border, because it is safe, wide open, and insecure, leading to the deaths of 70,000 Americans in the last 12 months because of fentanyl. It is devastating. Every county in America is now a border county because fentanyl has devastated Americans in every single state. I will also say six million illegal crossings. Since Joe Biden has taken office and he eliminated Title 42, the one thing he should do is finish the wall, reinstate Title 42 and get the job done.
0: that we are going to have a lot of questions on the border and immigration but in the meantime we do want to talk about the economy and jobs and especially want to talk about this strike for just a moment more together
6: the CEOs of General Motors Ford and Stellantis make 336 times the number of rank and the member number of rank and file workers That's just part of a a wider income inequality trend in the country. The richest 1% now controls one-fifth of all income. Vice President Pence, last week you said you side with American workers, but you also support how these companies operate. Which is it?
1: Well, thank you for the question. I want to thank uh, Univision and Fox Business for assembling such a wonderful forum. Look, I do disagree with something Tim Scott just said. Joe Biden doesn't belong on a picket line. He belongs on the unemployment line. I mean, look, I'm, I'm from the second leading manufacturing state in the country per capita. I was governor of the state of Indiana. We brought 12,000 factories back to America during our administration. I, I know something about manufacturing. And I got to tell you, while, uh, while the union bosses are talking about class warfare and talking about disparity in wages, I, I have to tell you, I really believe what's driving that is Bidenomics has failed. Wages are not keeping up with inflation. Auto workers and all American workers. Workers are feeling it. Families are struggling in this economy. And Joe Biden's Green New Deal agenda is good for Beijing and bad for Detroit. We ought to repeal the Green New Deal, get rid of the mandates and subsidies that are driving American gasoline automotive manufacturing into the graveyard. And beyond that, also, as President of the United States, I'll be standing with workers all across America, and I'll be standing for the right to work of every American to join a union or not join a union as they decide.
0: That was Trump's former vice president, Mike Pence. During the debate, uh, New Jersey governor, former governor Chris Christie, also criticized President Biden's support for teachers unions, prompting this exchange with Pence.
4: What we did was institute more charter schools and more renaissance schools and more public school choice in New Jersey with innovative solutions in cities like Camden, where now we took what was the worst school district in America during my time, and we have now increased that by nearly 40% in terms of their proficiency. It can be done when you give people choice. But let's tell the truth to everybody about what this is. This public school system is no longer run by the public. It is run by the teachers unions in this country, Randy Weingarten and her crew are absolutely strangling. They are taking the worst of their members and defending them, rather than advocating for our kids. And when you have the President of the United States sleeping with a member of the Teachers Union, there is no chance that you could take the stranglehold away from the Teachers Union every day. They have an advocate inside the White House every day for the worst of their teachers, not for our students to be the best they can be. A President of the United States has to take on the Teachers Union. I did it in New Jersey, and I will do it as president of the United States.
1: Because by way of full disclosure, Chris, you mentioned the president's situation. I'm, my wife uh, isn't a member of the teachers union, but I got to admit, I've, I've been sleeping with a teacher for 38 years.
0: To discuss last night's second Republican debate of 2024 and more, we're joined by Ralph Nader, longtime consumer advocate, corporate critic and former presidential candidate, also founder of the Capitol Hill Citizen newspaper, which has a new issue out. Ralph Nader is the author of many books, including the forthcoming book, The Rebellious CEO, 12 Leaders Who Did It Right. Ralph, welcome back to Democracy Now! Wow! That's the way they address education is Chris Christie accuses President Biden of sleeping with Dr. Jill Biden, his wife. Um, Anyway, why don't you summarize your response to last night's debate?
3: Well, like the first debate, it's pretty embarrassing that this is what they put forward to become president of the most powerful country in the world. We have a political system that does not bring out the best in the American people and doesn't bring out the best in candidates. Saturday midnight, uh, the government is going to probably close down. There wasn't much talk about that. That's a pretty serious problem. Millions of workers depend on federal uh, contracts in districts all over the country. Federal grants support major social safety nets for children, for disadvantaged people, for disabled people. Uh, all that's going to be suspended. Uh, and uh, it, it doesn't matter, red state, blue state, uh, all these people who will be cut off from uh, federal programs uh, of various kinds, and we know how many there are, that go into every district. All these people, whether they're conservatives or liberals, all these families are going to bleed the same color. And there wasn't much discussion about how a dozen right-wing Republicans uh, are basically controlling uh, Speaker McCarthy and heading the federal government into a a shutdown. But uh, beyond that, they seem just to be reacting to the headlines uh, of of the day. They don't talk about the structural weakening of our democratic society. Uh, They don't talk about the distortion of public budgets based on uh, a distorted tax system that undertaxed the very wealthy and the corporate, like never before, uh, the Trump tax cuts in 2017. They don't talk about over 50 percent of the federal budget goes to empire it goes to the bloated military budget which drains away um, all kinds of support for the necessities of the american people back home they don't talk about the corporate crime wave that even the mainstream press is reporting insurance companies banks drug companies oil companies they don't talk about the huge amount of corporate welfare you know no, they 're into uh, uh, poor the way they they go after programs that help the poor. But the corporate welfare kings are making out like bandits with very little congressional oversight. So one area after another, I mean, you want to think, for example, 5,000 Americans dying every week from what Johns Hopkins medical report said are, quote, preventable problems in hospitals, end quote. That's 5,000 Americans a week, 250,000 a year, and the doctors who put this report out have few years ago, uh, said that nothing is really being done about it by the federal government, and that was their most conservative estimate. A billion dollars a day is being ripped off from health care programs by corporate crime, and, and uh, $60 uh, rip off of Medicare alone. Uh, how inflationary is that? I mean, the areas that they avoid because of their paymasters and who they raise money from is really... Pretty extraordinary, but the real problem, Amy, is that where are the people protesting here? You would think they're they're about to be cut off from uh, all kinds of uh, critical federal programs with the shutdown on Saturday midnight, and there there are no demonstrations in the. Districts uh, of these uh, dozen or so right-wing Republicans, North Carolina, Arizona, uh, Georgia. And where is the Democratic Party in these districts? They're not challenging these members who are getting a free ride. One guy from Virginia, Congressman Good, just bragged that he only got one call criticizing uh, his threat to shut down the government. And he's getting all kinds of supporting calls against federal spending. Well, that's because there's no Democratic Party activity. They're giving them a free ride. So we're, we're seeing... Um... Terrible situations here uh, that are not being discussed or debated, and part of it is because Fox News doesn't ask those uh, basic questions at all. They don't ask about the crumbling democracy, the empire all over the world. What are we doing all over the world? We expect countries to obey our military dis- dictates, and uh, we have uh, bases in over 100 con- countries. We're wasting uh, trillions of dollars, and there's no, there's no question about that.
0: Uh, let me so- go to the issue of global politics. During the debate, former Republican governor of South Carolina, the former U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, went on the offensive attacking her rival, Vivek Ramaswamy over his stance on TikTok. This yeah. is infuriating because TikTok <laughs> is one of the most dangerous social sure. media apps yes, that is. we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say <laughs> because I can't believe uh, they hear you got Fane. a TikTok situation. What they're doing is these 150 million people are on <laughs> TikTok. That means they can get your contacts, they can get your financial information, they can get your emails, they can Let get me just text say, messages, they can get all this of is these important. things. This is China very important exactly for our party. What they're this doing. Is very and what we've party,
1: seen is say, you've gone and you've helped China stop. build,
0: make medicines will, in China, not America. Me, you are me. now wanting kids to go and get on the social media that's dangerous for all of us. You went and you were in business with the Chinese that gave Hunter Biden $5 million. We can't trust you. We so can't let me, trust you. Let me we say can't something. have TikTok but and I think we need to ban.
2: Mr. Ramaswamy, you have 15 seconds. I think Excuse me. You have 15
6: seconds, Mr. Ramaswamy. Thank you.
2: I think we would be better served as a Republican Party if we're not sitting here hurling personal insults and actually have a legitimate debate oh, well, I'm, I'm about policy following Reagan's 11th commandment in his honor. And the answer is, that is what actually makes our country strong. And I believe, I believe in these people, these are good people on the stage. They disagree, but let's have a legitimate disagreement.
0: Someone did tweet something along the lines of, if, um, I could ever find someone to love as much as Nikki Haley hates Vivek Ramaswamy, I'll be a happy man. Uh, Ralph Nader, your response.
3: Well, uh, generally, her criticism of social media and what it does to, to kids is uh, is correct. She's picking out TikTok because it's Chinese-owned, but it, it could be Facebook, it could be Instagram, it could be any one of these uh, w- wardens of the internet gulag that's got our kids hooked uh, through that iPhone five to seven uh, hours a day, separating them from their parents, community, nature, you name it. Uh, but they now wrangling with each other, they're, they're trying to break out to see who's going to be number two or number three in the polls uh, up against Trump. That's that's what's uh, causing that back and forth. It's really interesting. I mean, you have uh, millions and millions of people who are uh, uh, not making a living wage. They don't even mention that the federal minimum wage is seven dollars and twenty-five cents an hour, frozen since two thousand nine, and. Uh, or even earlier, they don't even mention it. They don't mention occupational health and safety. They don't mention that tens of millions of people are without health insurance, are underinsured, and that at least a hundred thousand people, two thousand a week in this country, die because they can't afford health insurance to get diagnosed, diagnosed and treated in time. So you know, it's just a, a, a lot of wrangling back and forth, and a lot of it is the debate format and the kind of questions uh, that are asked. Were, were you
0: were you surprised, Ralph? by um, the Fox host Varney um, asking something we played before. Together, the CEOs of General Motors, Ford and Stellantis, made 336 times the number of rank, uh, the member number of rank and file workers. That's just part of a wider income inequality trend in the country. Um, this issue of wealth inequality, has it gotten um, even— Fox uh, is addressing it, just too big to ignore, or that's because, what, Murdoch has said he's retiring—
3: well, it is too big to, to ignore, but it keeps going on and on. Years ago, Fortune magazine had on its cover CEO pays out of control and why nothing can be done to stop it. Well, that's because the shareholders, who are the owners of these companies, are rendered completely powerless. The, the hired hands in executive suite have even made, made the owners of their capitalist corporation powerless. How about that one? Well, Mary Barra makes $29 million dollars a year as CEO of General Motors 29 million now that is at least on a 40 hour week over $14,000 an hour and she's got low tier workers in the uh, auto industry working for 18 20 22 dollars an hour so that's the kind of gap you got to reduce it down to the hour over $14,000 an hour, hour hour after hour 8 hours a day five days a week, not counting extraordinary benefits and perks. The CEOs of the big auto companies used to restrain themselves because the auto workers uh, were strong enough as a union not to tolerate it, and they didn't want to give the auto workers an excuse. Now, all limits are gone. And it's very good that the the new head of the United Auto Workers, Sean Thane, he he is taking them on and calling them out with great specificity. Uh, He's talking like an old-time fighting labor leader, and the auto workers ought to be glad that they're finally led by someone who's going to draw the line, because the auto workers have been pushed down for years, especially after uh, the GM bankruptcy and the $30 billion-plus federal bailout in 2012 under Obama, the workers have to take all kinds of concessions. So it's not that they're breaking new ground here. They're catching up on past deprivations.
0: Uh, let me ask you um, uh, about the issue of covering Trump, right? Trump wasn't there last night. Uh, he was in Detroit speaking to—in a non-union hall, uh, speaking um, uh, separately from those in Simi Valley at the Ronald Reagan library Um How do you think the media should be covering Trump right now, moving into the 2024 elections now, with over 90 indictments, 90 charges against him, and however many cases? The most recent, um, uh, the most recent judge that came out against him two nights ago could dissolve the Trump organization.
3: Well, it should cover his criminal activity, his unconstitutional record uh, as president, his serial violation of federal criminal statutes like the Hatch Act, the Anti-Deficiency Act. I mean, he, he used the White House loan for political campaigning, which is a criminal violation. And the press didn't even cover it, except for Joe Davidson of The Washington Post, uh, following our letter to the Justice Department. Now, the... the New York Times uh, does something that is really extraordinary. They, they put the quotes of Trump in capital letters when he puts it in capital letters on his website. I mean, how, how, how far do you go in trumpeting Trump? And what they should do is apply newsworthy standards. If he says the same thing every day on the hustings, you don't, you don't uh, report that every day. Margaret Sullivan, the media uh, critic uh, recently, the Washington Post, she's retired. She wrote a long essay t- uh, telling the media how not to cover Trump. And they still fall for it because of the ratings. He's got them by the finger. And uh, if it continues this way, he's going to benefit from billions of dollars of free publicity. And the more outrageous he is, the more he lies, the more he creates fantasies instead of realities, the more he engages in false promises, the more he tries to cover up his crimes, the more attention he gets. Uh, let
0: me ask you something, Ralph Nader. Some critics, including Lawrence Tribe, tweeted in June, WTF, does Cornell West really want to help the GOP nominee win the way Ralph Nader helped G.W. Bush defeat Al Gore in 2000? Ego trips can come at a heavy price, Cornell. Please stop this foolishness before you really hurt the things you care about. Um, Can you respond to this, Ralph, as you were brought into it, but then also talk about what you're feeling about President Biden right now?
3: Well, this is the worst uh, performance by Larry Tribe. He is a leading constitutional law expert. He should know what the First Amendment is all about. When you run for office, you are running— in 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 the right of the first amendment right of free speech a petition assembly and he should say well i don't like uh these candidates, and I'm opposing them, but I'm not going to oppose their right to run. I mean, he flew down to California, excuse me, he flew down to Florida in 2004 in a court trying to get me off the ballot, which is basically saying, shut up, do not uh, exercise your right of free speech. This is a constitutional law professor at Harvard Law School, my alma mater. Teresa Amato had to go down and oppose him, and she blocked it. uh, our, Our campaign director. So he's got a real tick on on third parties. He doesn't understand. The way the Democrats should deal with uh, progressive third parties is to adopt their popular agenda. That's what Harry Truman did to to Henry Wallace in 1948. He took some of Henry Wallace's progressive uh, agenda and Henry Wallace started dropping in the polls. That's what a competitive democracy is all about. Instead, the Democratic Party, with the help of Larry tribe uh, is scapegoating. Every time they lose to the worst uh, Republican Party in history, they blame the Greens, Uh, and they're just scapegoating. The Democratic Party does not look at itself in the mirror. It's very low on introspection and doesn't ask itself why uh, against the most corrupt, dictatorial, uh, corporate indentured, you name it, Republican Party, that they're not landsliding them. And if they win, they barely win, and they don't have a workable majority in the Congress. And if they lose, they lose to the worst party. I mean, people like Teddy Roosevelt and Eisenhower and Senator Robert Taft, they couldn't believe how bad the Republican Party is. And the Democrats are barely Competing. We have uh, just 30 seconds, off,
0: but I wanted to get your response. Uh, you were just profiled in the Washington Post. Um, I think the headline was Ralph Nader wary of Trump offers to help Joe Biden win. Is that accurate?
3: It's an inaccurate headline, which the reporter has nothing to do with. Uh, What I said was uh, that in a choice between Trumpster fascism or Democratic Party autocracy, I'll take autocracy uh, because it, it allows an opportunity for reversal fascism and the violent uh, rhetoric and behavior and voter suppression uh, of the trumpsters and they're just getting underway while they let wall street uh, do whatever it wants they deregulate everything the health and safety and economic protection programs for the american people they give uh, tax escapes so big corporations now are making money in the u.s and paying virtually no taxes a whole list of them uh, it's, it's the perfect corporate state that Franklin Donald Roosevelt warned about in a message to Congress in 1938. He said, when private power takes over government, that's fascism. And uh, so that's what we're dealt with, the two-party duopoly. I'm all for third parties. I wish to the Green Party well. Uh, 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 Cornel West is by far the most progressive candidate. He's got the most complete Uh, progressive agenda in domestic and foreign policy. And let's have a competitive democracy and stop engaging in candidate uh, suppression. The Democrats criticize the uh, GOP for voter suppression. The Democrats are very good about candidate suppression. Third party candidates bumping them off uh, uh, ballots, harassing them, suing them. We got sued a dozen times in a few weeks. Well, Ralph, we're going to
0: have to leave it there today. But of of course, we're going to continue to cover so many of these issues. Ralph Nader, longtime consumer advocate, corporate critic, former presidential candidate four times. He's also the founder of the Capitol Hill Citizen newspaper, which has a new issue out. Uh, Ralph's the author of many books, including his forthcoming The Rebellious CEO. Coming up, we'll speak to David Dayen of The American Prospect about the U.S. government's landmark lawsuit against Amazon and the growing calls for Senator Bob Menendez to resign after he was indicted for bribery. Also the possible shutdown of the U.S. government. Stay with us.
5: It's knowing that your door is always open and your path is free to walk. That makes me tend to leave my sleeping bag rolled up and stash behind your couch. It's knowing I'm not shackled by forgotten words and bars and the ink stains that are dried upon some line. That keeps you on the back roads by the rivers of my memory and keeps you ever gentle on my mind. It's not clinging to the rocks and ivy planted on the columns now that binds me.
0: Gentle on My Mind by Billy Bragg and Joe Henry. This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman. On Tuesday, the Federal Trade Commission in 17 states filed a sweeping antitrust lawsuit against Amazon. The lawsuit accuses the company of using, quote, punitive and coercive tactics to unlawfully maintain its monopolies, unquote, allowing it to charge higher prices, harming customers and weakening competition. The lawsuit was spearheaded by FTC chair Lena Khan, who made headlines as a law student in 2017 after she wrote a widely read scholarly article arguing for the breakup of Amazon. For more, we're joined by David Dayan executive editor of The American Prospect. He wrote about this in his recent piece, Amazon's $185 billion pay-to-play system. His latest book is titled Monopolized, Life in the Age of Corporate Power. Um, David, why don't we start off, and thanks for coming back today, um, by talking, you talking about the significance of this lawsuit, which comes just two weeks after the opening of a landmark antitrust trial against Google.
6: Yes, suddenly there is all this activity in the antitrust space after uh, you know, a period of dormancy for about 40 years. The, uh, uh, specifically, the, the Google trials, the first in 25 years, first monopolization trial. It's not a trial to fight a merger. It's just saying that this company is uh, using anti-competitive behavior uh, in, in ways that violates the law. This is the same thing in the Amazon case. It's a monopolization case. Uh, And yes, as you say, it uh, alleges that uh, third party sellers that use Amazon's network are coerced into using all sorts of services that Amazon uh, provides uh, for which they take this huge cut Uh, about uh, according to the uh, report that I uh, uh, discussed last week, uh, about 45 percent of all third-party sales, go to Amazon in fees. Those fees are for uh, logistics, uh, something called fulfillment by Amazon, which is their shipping and uh, warehousing networks, and uh, also for advertising, uh, which are basically, if you use Amazon search these days, pretty much the entire first page is ads, Uh, They may not be the cheapest thing or the most uh, useful product or the most quality product, but it's things that the third-party sellers have to pay for to get into the consciousness of people who are searching for products. So uh, there are a variety of ways in which uh, third-party sellers are induced to use uh, these services to pay Amazon, and also uh, there's a sort of anti-discounting measure whereby uh, if you are selling on Amazon, you can't sell your products for a lower price on other websites. And because Amazon controls 70, 80% of all online commerce, you have to be at Amazon because the eyeballs are there. But uh, basically through an algorithm, Amazon crawls the web, sees if you're selling the same product for less elsewhere. And if you are, Downvote you in the search so that you can't essentially be seen by Amazon's customers and thereby you can't sell anything there. So this uh, arrangement uh, raises prices across the internet mm. and forces. Uh, uh, these sellers to uh, uh, sell for more money.
0: David, I wanted to uh, play FTC chair. That's the Federal Trade Commission chair, Lena Khan, in her own words, speaking on CBS in June about the Biden administration's antitrust efforts. When you have open markets, you want them to be contestable, which means that the existing giants have to be susceptible to competition. There are a whole set of antitrust lawsuits underway right now that allege that these some of these companies have engaged in anti-competitive tactics that have unfairly blocked competition. So, David Dayan, if you can talk about Lena Khan herself, a lot of corporate Democrats want Biden to take her out. She's the FTA, FTC chair.
6: Yeah. uh, She, as you mentioned, wrote this uh, very celebrated law review article uh, about Amazon itself. Of course, the company has said that uh, she is now biased because she believes in in, in enforcing the laws it's written. uh, And they're trying to uh, throw her out of the case, much as they've tried to throw Jonathan Cantor, the head of the antitrust division, out of the Google case because of uh, remarks he's made in the past. Fortunately, uh, judges have ruled that there is no uh, need for recusal here. Uh, uh, Khan represents a, an aggressive set of antitrust enforcers that the Biden administration has put in and really reversed this, this troubling trend of the last 40 years uh, to the extent that, that even Republicans, some Republicans, are moving uh, in that direction. I'll, I'll mention that the, the Google case was actually filed during the tail end of the Trump administration. Uh, And this case uh, against Amazon uh, has been in the works at the FTC for four years. So it did the investigation, at least, started under Trump's antitrust uh, 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 federal trade commission, I should say. And uh, but uh, clearly uh, both Lena Kahn, Jonathan Cantor, Tim Wu, who was the former uh, uh, Biden administration antitrust chair, uh, they have all been instrumental in uh, this this newfound vigor in antitrust.
0: And of course, Jeff Bezos, we're just showing images right now of the CEO of Amazon, Jeff Bezos.
6: Former CEO, but yes.
0: Yes. Um, Can you can we switch gears right now to talk about um, what's happening in Congress? I want to ask you about the growing calls for Senator Bob Menendez to resign after being indicted with his wife on federal bribery and extortion charges. He was indicted Friday, accused of using his position to increase U.S. assistance to Egypt and to do favors for New Jersey businessmen in exchange for mortgage payments, luxury car bars of gold, thousands of dollars in cash. Second time in under a decade, Menendez has been indicted on federal bribery and corruption charges. He's now, what, we're up to something like 30 fellow Democrats, including his fellow Democratic senator from New Jersey, Cory Booker, um, demanding that he resign. He made his first court appearance on Wednesday and pleaded not guilty. Your piece is breaking the Menendez cycle. Talk about what you mean.
6: Yeah. So uh, what happened in in 2016, uh, uh, Menendez gets indicted. Uh, at the end of the Obama administration, he goes to trial. And because the Supreme Court has so defined down public corruption and bribery, uh, that case ends in a mistrial and the Justice Department ultimately drops the charges. However, it was it was clear that there was a lot unseemly going on in that first case, uh, very similar in terms of taking trips and getting pay, uh, gifts and things like that in exchange for uh, some actions on behalf. Of the individual who was uh, alleged to have bribed him. Uh, it, despite the fact that the Senate Ethics Committee wrote a report that admonished him, said he failed to disclose these gifts, that violated the law, Democrats allowed Menendez to get back into that ranking position on the Foreign Relations Committee, where he was in a position to help with military aid, with arms sales to the Egyptian government. And, and literally right after he res- is restored to that seat, uh, another uh, set of scandals begins. This cycle returns itself as he starts engaging in these uh, activities on behalf of, of that, that certainly help Egypt uh, in exchange for all these additional gifts. Uh, what I meant by breaking the cycle is the fact that in New Jersey, where it's kind of a political machine. Uh, the, the machine bosses, uh, most and now pretty much all of the uh, leading uh, Democratic politicians there have rejected Menendez. They've said he should resign. Andy Kim, who's a uh, congressman right now, has already uh, signed up to run against him in next June's Senate primary because uh, Menendez is up for re-election. Also, and so this is uh, an Larry, attempt Hamm, to break the
0: Larry Hamm has said that he's going to run as well, the uh yeah. well-known New Jersey community activist head of pop.
6: Mm, interesting. So uh there is uh this uh sort of a shunning of Menendez within New Jersey, uh which is his power base. And uh so there's a possibility that uh th- this this cycle that we see uh, will not recur. But he's apparently speaking to the heads, uh, uh, to two members of the Senate today in their caucus meeting. And it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that.
0: Mm-hmm. And what this could mean for the balance of the Senate next year if he hangs on.
6: Well, certainly, because, uh, uh, you know, in 2018, when he ran against someone who had no money and and no no name recognition within New Jersey, in the primary, he still uh, got uh, only about 60 percent of the vote. So there's clearly a, a large number of people within New Jersey who who uh, aren't aren't that interested in Menendez. And and the Democratic Senate arm had to spend about seven million dollars to uh, ensure that he won the uh, the, the general election. David, so- we,
0: we only have about a minute to go. And I do want to get to the possible. Do you say probable shutdown and what exactly this means?
6: The definite shutdown that's going to happen. Uh, uh, there's a solution readily available, uh, 77 votes in the Senate for a clean continuing resolution to fund the government. Uh, Kevin McCarthy knows that we get 350, maybe 400 votes in the House, doesn't want to do it because the small faction of Freedom Caucus members would then uh, try to remove him from the speakership. Uh, it's, it's a dysfunctional uh, situation. And uh, I, I think that uh, McCarthy is looking for somebody else to solve it other than him, even though he's the leader in the House. Uh, it, it's, it's a terrible situation. It's going to affect a lot of federal employees who aren't going to get paid and who are going to get furloughed.
0: David Dayan, want to thank you so much for being with us, executive editor of The American Prospect. His latest book, Monopolized, Life in the Age of Corporate Power. We'll also link to your articles <coughs> at democracynow.org. Democracy Now! produced with Mike Berkrenet, Feltz, Dina Messiah Rhodes, Maria Tarasena, uh, Tammy Warnoff, Trina Nadura, I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks for joining us.